Today, we are in our final week as we wrap up this series, Christmas is dot, dot, dot. And some of you guys are like, we're still doing Christmas. You're like, my house is done with that. I grinched the place. Um, it's, everything's back in totes. It's up in the attic. We've moved on to the next thing. It's time for a new year. And for those of you that are like, I get it, but let's move on. This is the perfect message for you because the title of today's message is Christmas is over. Okay, Christmas is over. That is the title of today's message. Christmas is over. Done with the ugly sweaters. No more eggnog. No more pentatonics. Like, please, Lord. I don't have to listen to them make weird noises with their mouth anymore. Like, get a guitar. Come on, guys. I know. Some of you love them. I'm sorry if you love them, but them and Michael Bublé always pop up at Christmas. And you're like, find a better spot to pop up in because I'm done with y'all. But Christmas is over. And for some of you today, your house, the day after Christmas is always an interesting day. Okay, day after Christmas is always interesting because you've had this whole anticipate, anticipate, see my mouth is not working. You've built up to this moment of Christmas day. Everybody opens their presents. Life was happy. And then it's the day after. And you're like, okay, it kind of get back to normal. Some of you guys, the day after Christmas, your house looks like you work for a shipping company because it's full of boxes that you're getting ready to return or throw away. Others, maybe you look like a bookie because you've got all these receipts everywhere and you're going through them trying to find which one has the thing that I need to return. And if you're, if you're the crazy person, the day after Christmas, you're standing in the return line. Like, I am never going to do that in the day after Christmas because there's just, they're too long. But how many of you have ever stood in the return line returning a gift? And then a person walks in, and they were the one that gave you that gift, and they see you in line returning that gift. Yeah, that, that would not be something that would be fun to have happen. Um, but what's even worse is when a person buys you a gift, they think you're going to use it, they come over to your house, and they expect to see the gift somewhere, whether it was a vase or some little, I don't know, candle or maybe it's your Aunt Susie who's decided to give you know, me an ice cream maker that's the size of the space shuttle to take up on my counter space, and I'm lactose intolerant. Like, hey, Aunt Susie, I'm not using that ice cream maker. I actually have a gift card to Walmart now, okay? Thank you very much. But we've all had sometimes a gift that we just, we didn't really want. Maybe we took it back, we returned it, we got a refund. But see, here's what's even worse. What if you're the person that gave that gift? And what if you're the person that you didn't just pick out a random thing? Like how many of you have ever spent just time, energy, effort, even money thinking of the perfect gift? The perfect gift for a friend, a spouse, a sibling. And you're like, they're going to love this thing. And you wrap it all up and you give it to them. And we all know what, what are, we're expecting. We want that moment of like glory when oh, like they open up the gift and their, their face lights up because it's just exactly what they wanted. And they open up the gift. Then maybe they give you the, oh, maybe they just kind of give you the, uh. Um, but either way, then all, it, what's worse is if all of a sudden you realize they don't really appreciate the gift that you got them. And whether that's because maybe you show up a week later and that gift is still sitting on the table or you find out that they regifted it, returned it, or refunded it, 
And you're like, man, I spent all that energy giving them this gift that they just completely rejected or didn't really use. And today we're ending with our message, Christmas is over, but Christmas is about the greatest gift that we've ever been given. And sometimes we treat that gift in a way that just feels like, eh. And at first, when we first get that gift, we might be excited about it. But now what we've done is we've taken that gift and we've put it back away in all the big Tupperware totes up in the attic. And that's where we put the gift of Jesus and the gift of hope and the gift of salvation. And when we need the warm, fuzzy feelings, we can pull it back down and we can get it going. But for the most part, we just kind of tuck it away. And what I'm about to say is not because I'm against any of you, but I don't want us to treat the gift of Christmas and the gift of Christ that way. I don't think it's something that we should just spiritually keep tucked away and only use it when we need to pull it out. What do you think Jesus feels about this? You know, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He sacrificed everything for us. He was tortured. He shed blood. He died. He kicked the devil's behind. He rose from the dead. And he did all of this for us. And it's the greatest gift we could be given. And I don't ever want us to just put it and tuck it away. God gave us access to the, Jesus gave us access to the very throne of God. It says he intercedes. So when we pray, he's praying for us. He gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to go on mission, to make a difference in this world. A lot of times we just take all these things that we have been given. It says he gave us the ability, it says when we lay hands on people, they can be healed and set free. And we just take those things and we just tuck them away. We give him a shoulder shrug, a shrug, and we just, meh. And Jesus, I think, is like, what, what are you doing with my gift? And he's, he's, he's saying to us, and he wants us to ask ourselves, say, what are you excited about? And a lot of us go, meh. What are you on mission for? Meh. What are you passionate about? Meh. How are you making a difference in this world? Meh. How's your faith? What does that mean? Meh. So let's take a look at scripture. And I want us to see how Jesus responds to our meh. This is a message that I've preached before. I'm sure you've probably heard it here, but sometimes it's good to be refreshed and get over the meh mentality. So turn with me for our last message in the Christmas is series to the book of Revelation. Perfect place to start a brand new year. Okay, the book of Revelation. That's right, we're getting serious today. Christmas is over. Things are gonna get real. Told you my mouth is gonna say things. Everybody say, I can take it. I can take it. So today we're gonna be in Revelation chapter three. We're gonna go verses 15 through 17. And today I'm gonna read from the, the message translation. There's lots of different translations. Message is a little bit more of a paraphrase, but they use a certain word here that's actually a better interpretation. And we'll get to that. But first, let's read this. This is Jesus saying, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. You brag, I'm rich. I've got it made. I I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious to the fact that you're a pitiful, blind beggar. 
threadbare and homeless. Okay, Jesus, let's pray so we can get to what this is actually saying. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for scripture. God, I pray that you would just speak to us today. God, we thank you that you've given us a new year to love people and to love you, Lord. God, I pray that you would just let your words speak louder than mine. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? All right. So I want to give you a little bit of context to what we're speaking about today. So the the letters that are found in the book of Revelation, it's Revelation, not Revelations, there's only one, okay? But it's these seven letters that are, are to these different churches, they're actually the words of Jesus penned by John, the Revelator. So that's why in many of your Bibles, you may find those words in red, because if you have a red letter Bible, it marks the words of Jesus in red, and these are actually the words of Jesus. And he's speaking, one of the churches he wrote to was the church of Laodicea. And Laodicea was a, a pretty cool, powerful little community. They had been destroyed by an earthquake and they rebuilt, and they rebuilt strong. And they had stadiums, theaters, shopping areas. They, they, were, they were a strong little community that was vibrant and had a lot going on. I, and I want you to think of it kind of as a modern day like Las Vegas. Okay, lots of things going on, maybe not the greatest choices all the time, but also, like Las Vegas, they had inadequate water supply, which you can imagine that causes all kinds of trouble when you don't have enough water. So these people, though, they're smart, and they built these elaborate aqueducts. So they built this way to get water into their community, and the water flowed from two different places. And they, these two different places had two different types of water that were flowing to them. You're like, what do you mean types of water? Well, one of the places, the water that was flowing was an area that the water was cool, cold. It was cool, cold water that was flowing straight into their town. And cold water has a purpose. Jesus, remember, if you read that, it says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. He didn't, he didn't punk out the cold water. Because how many of you guys know, like on a hot day, what's great? Some cold water. On a hot day, what's nice? Somebody to just dump some water on your head. Okay, there, there was a purpose for the cold water coming into this town. There was another town that was bringing water to them, and this water came from hot springs. And the hot springs were seen as being medicinal, remedial. You could take baths in them. They had a purpose. And the hot water would be piped in, and the cold water would be piped in. But the problem was, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was no longer cold. It was no longer hot. It was just lukewarm, tepid, a beating, a, just a, a breeding ground for bacteria and sickness. And Jesus wrote to this community about the problem of living the meh, the problem of living in indifference, the problem of living just mid, just meh, just indifferent to everything. And Jesus starts with this statement and he says this, and he's saying this to me, you, and to our church. It starts with, I know you. Say that with me. Say, I know you. Jesus wants you to understand personally. And again, he's writing this to a church. So we've got to read this as a church and also read this personally. But he's saying, I know you. I know about your week. If you look at your life this week, were you full of like spiritual passion and energy? Were you focused on the kingdom of God at all? Or you were, were you just more meh? 
more just indifferent? It's the big question that I really want us to focus on as a church, and it's the thing I've been focusing on on Wednesdays when I'm here gathered with the team and we're talking, and this week we're going to write it on the big whiteboard in there. Are we actually passionate about the things Jesus was passionate about? And we've talked about that every week as a team. Am I passionate about the things Jesus was passionate about? As a church, is that who we are or are we just going through lukewarm motions? Jesus says to them, you're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. I wish you were one or the other. They both serve a purpose. Remember, the cool water is refreshing. The hot water is remedial. But the lukewarm water is repulsive. So let me ask you, are you cool? Are you refreshing? When people are around you, do they feel refreshed? Do they feel excited to be around you? When people come into this place, when they come to to Relevant Church, do they feel refreshed and renewed? Or are you hot? Are you remedial? Are you, are you, does your passion and excitement bring restoration to other people? Does your passion and excitement bring restoration to other people? Does our passion for worship in the word bring hope and restoration to people who visit this place? As a church, do we burn with the desire to follow Jesus? Or are we just meh, lukewarm? Jesus says to this church, you're stale, you're stagnant. And then he says, this is why I wanted to read from this translation because it's actually almost a, a perfect translation of this word. He says, you make me want to vomit. It's a big word. He's saying, you make me want to vomit. And I know this is the message I was supposed to preach because I told him first service. On the way driving up here today, I'm driving and I look over to the side of the road and guess what I see somebody doing? Vomiting. I'm like, they must have had an interesting night last night. I don't know what happened. But I'm like, confirmation, this is the right message. Not really. But they, there was somebody on the side of the road puking, which is disgusting. But it, did, it gave me like this feeling of... You know, if you've, we've all thrown up at some point, you know that feeling of just sickness and just like that churning, turning stomach. And there's times when you're like, can this just come out? Because when it comes out, you at least get that moment of I feel a little bit better. And that's what Jesus is like. I just want to spit you out. That's how repulsive you're making me. Man, I never, ever want him to think or say that about me or this church. But I know that means I can't live in the meh. I can't live in the just stagnant, stale, unpassioned. Like, I've got to do something to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. So, how are we doing spiritually? How are we doing, church? And I'm not here to judge I'm not here to judge your spiritual condition or to judge mine, but sometimes it's important just to take a little temperature check. You know, once in a while, even when you're healthy, you should take your temperature to kind of know where your normal landing point is. See, how am I doing? When you're not feeling good, sometimes it's good to just take your temperature. How am I doing? To to get your vitals checked. How am I doing? It gives you a sense of where you're at, and I think that's what we need to do today to ask ourselves, are we refreshing? Are we remedial? Or are we repulsive. Jesus then confronts the cause of their indifference. He he confronts the cause of their meh. 
And it's the cause that a lot of us fall into, and it just starts with this, self-sufficiency. He said, you brag. I'm rich, I've got it made, I don't need anything from anyone. But then he says, oblivious, then in fact you're a pitiful blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. So often today we, we kind of get into this, I got what I need. I may not have everything I want, but I got what I need. And when we got what we need, it's easy to fall into the meh when it comes to spiritual things. I've got what I need, so, you know, I've got a car that, that works for the most part. i got the new iPhone. Like, I, I, I've got Netflix when I just want to turn off my brain. And Jesus is saying, you can have all this material stuff, but you're spiritually void. You're spiritually just men. You have all the things. Man, I spent some time as a pastor in Naples, Florida. People there got money. And a lot of them, they have all the things, but they're spiritually just meh. Because they focused in the wrong areas on the wrong stuff. And quite honestly, it leads to an illusion of self-sufficiency and that we don't become dependent on Jesus. Another reason that a lot of us start living in the meh is because of just overwhelmed living. Man, we got a lot going on. Life is always full of stuff. The reason we're simply, we're just overwhelmed with life. And Jesus told a parable about a farmer who's throwing some seed out. And some of the seed was starting to take root and grow. But Mark 4.19 says this. It says, Jesus said, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for things come in and choke it out. I mean, let's call it what it is. This is the story of some of us. It's been my story before. I hear this message of, you come to church and you hear a message of Jesus and you, or you hear something that just stirs you up and you're like, I need to do something. I could take action. And then life happens. You get into that car and you get a phone call of something you've got to take care of. The kid gets, your kids get sick. You've got a project you've got to complete. Something happens in the house. Something breaks. And just life happens. And that's just normal things. But life happens and it starts to just choke out the thing that God wants to take root. And God's saying, just include me in those things. Don't let that stuff choke out life. Include me in all that stuff. Because that stuff's always going to happen. And you've got to learn to include God in it. The kids get sick, though. Things happen, and, and finally, when we get that little buffer of time, we don't want to do anything but just like, I need to just rest. And there is truth. There is a time when we need to rest. But sometimes we just pop on Netflix, and we're like, that's just good enough. And God's saying, man, I don't know if that's the best use of your time right now. I think maybe we can do something a little bit better than the meh. But honestly, Christmas, Christmas may be over, but Christ is still king. You know, there's a story after Christmas that a lot of preachers preach of the, the three gifts that were given to Jesus and the wise men that came to visit. And they came in search of a king. And Christmas had been over for a couple of years. Jesus had already been born and they came in search for a king. And the the real, the King Herod came to kill Jesus because Jesus is king and he was threatened. 
we need to understand that Jesus never stopped being king just because we are done with Christmas. Jesus is still king and he doesn't want us to live in the meh. He's asking for more. And lukewarm indifference to following him doesn't just break his heart and makes him want to vomit. It turns his stomach. And so then I have to ask myself, how do I know if I'm living this type of lifestyle? How do I make sure I'm not just meh? So I'm going to give you five indicators. Five things that we can just kind of look at ourselves and say, where am I at on this? And there are things that you may have heard this before, and there are things that I have heard from a friend of mine. But either way, they're a good reminder. So if you're taking notes, write these down. Here's five indicators of indifference. Five indicators that you may be lukewarm, meh, as a church and as a person. First thing, number one, we're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. An indicator of indifference. If you're more concerned with what everybody else thinks, you may not be on the right track. I know as I've, uh, once I passed that 40 age, I've always kind of been this way, but once I passed that, man, I don't care what anybody thinks. I say stuff. I, I just, I don't care anymore. But I remember, I remember what it feels like to be a little bit younger and be a little bit more insecure and just be caring. Let me, let me just encourage you guys that are teenagers, that are in your 20s, you've got to care way more about what Jesus thinks than what other people think. And if you start loving people the way that Jesus loves, they're going to think great of you anyways. Nobody's rejecting someone who's kind, who's honest, who's patient. Care about what Jesus cares about. Be passionate about what he's passionate about. But if we become indifferent, we become more concerned with impressing people than living for God. And this comes, as a, as a church, we can become that way too. We can become more obsessed with impressing when people walk in than actually honoring what God wants of this church. 2 Timothy 3 says, in the end times, there will be people who are selfish and lovers of themselves. It says, there will be terrible times in the last days, people who will be lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient. So he's saying in the end times, there's going to be people that are like this. So let's not be indifferent. Number two, we become obsessed with life on earth rather than eternity in heaven. We start making it all about the things and what can I acquire, what can I get? And the Bible tells us, Scripture says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And that's what that means doesn't mean that we shouldn't love the world. But it says if you become only focused on what is going on here, the Bible, this is Scripture, says the love of the Father, this is Jesus, is not in you. Jesus loved the world, but he wasn't consumed by things of this world. So we can't become obsessed with life on earth. Number three, this is a big one. And in our country, we honestly do this a lot. We rationalize sin and live without truly fearing God. And it's not a fear of, here comes the lightning bolt to strike you down. I was reminded in the lobby, it's more of a reverence. Okay, it's more of a reverence. It's like a good father. If you have a really good dad or a really good mom, you're not afraid that they're going to like destroy you, but you have this reverence of them, 
of, man, they're so good and so loving and so kind. I need to honor them. I want to do my best for them. But we've lost that and we start to rationalize sin in our culture. We even rename these sins. We don't even want to call it sin. It's not sin. It's a mistake. It's just a mistake. When did sin become a mistake? Because that sounds a lot nicer and easier to, for us. Even preachers from the stage a lot don't call it sin. They want to call it a mistake because a mistake seems like something we can fix. We can't fix this. We need Jesus to fix this. We give other titles. It's not pornography. It's just adult entertainment. Come on. We need to stop giving things just better names. And jokingly, it's not gluttony. It's just Golden Corral. Come on. Come on. Come on, guys. We tell ourselves, I'm not that, I'm not that bad. And what we really start to do to rationalize it is we compare ourselves to other people. I'm not as bad as that person. Or we justify the things we do because so-and-so does it too. Man, we can't rationalize sin we have to really, truly learn to revere and honor God. Number four, we believe in Jesus, but we rarely share our faith. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Man, and I'm guilty of this, just like all of you, and I'm a, this does not count for me sharing my faith. It just doesn't. Sharing my faith is something I have to do outside of these walls with my neighbor, with someone in Starbucks. It's, it's going out of my way to share my faith with somebody else. And if we believe in Jesus, we'll actually do this and we'll share our faith. If we believe the gospel is true and that without Christ, people are destined for darkness, I'm going to get serious about being a light to them. But a lot of us, we just, meh, somebody else might do it. Meh, meh, that's too, that's, that's awkward, meh, and I'm always super convicted when I'm around my pastor, so Mike Burnett's my pastor, and that fool will tell everybody and anybody about Jesus, to the point when I'm like, can we just, like, have a meal, no, he's gonna tell the waiter about Jesus, he's gonna go to the, ba it's, but it's super convicting, it's like, yeah, you can do this, and some people won't want to hear about it. Man, that, I'm just throwing seed. I'm just out here throwing seed. And that's what I would encourage you guys to do. And here's an easy way to do it. Ask people, how can I pray for you? Whether that's a server, whether that's someone that you just meet, how can I pray for you? Because most people won't reject prayer. And if they do, it at least opens up a, a, a time to have a conversation with somebody. But it's an open door that's free in this country. There's not a lot of places. There's other places where you could never say that. We have the opportunity to just say a simple thing. Hey, how can I be praying for you? And use that as an open door to share your faith with somebody else. Don't live in meh. And number five, and this is another big one. We only turn to God when we need him. Rather than seeking him daily, we just seek him when it benefits us. He's just another tool in our toolbox, not a God that we really worship and serve. When somebody's sick, I'm going to run to God. God, I need you to heal them. When something bad is happening, I'm going to run to God. God, I need you to take care of this. But all those other times, eh, 
I don't need him every day. Like I, I know that I have Jesus and I can depend on him, but the everyday thing, that's a lot. Man, that's a meh. And if we're not careful, we start to say we're a follower of Christ, but we don't look any different than the world. Man, the initial church, the people that started this movement that we're still a part of thousands of years ago, the reason that movement took off is because they looked, acted, sounded different. They said, we belong to a different kingdom. And it wasn't just them saying it. They were living it out. They were sharing. They were loving. They were doing all these things that was drawing attention to themselves. They didn't just look like everybody else. They stood out. And the same is true as a church. Are we actually a movement that's making, the, like, making God known to the world? Or are we just a social club? Because we're not called to just be a social club. We're not called to just be a production company. We're called to be a movement that makes a difference in Paducah, in, in Kentucky, in the United States, all over the world. That's what the church is meant to be. Not just a gathering of people who can be like-minded and rally each other up to, to be little echo chambers. No, we're meant to go out into the world and to make a difference. But if we don't take a temperature check from time to time, if we don't re-engage our passion without ever intending it, one day... We wake up and we realize we've drifted. It's like when you first start learning how to drive. When you first get in that car for the first time, man, you're paying attention to everything. Your hands are right here. The person that's sitting next to you, you're paying attention to what they're saying. All the gauges, you push that pedal a little too fast the first time, but you're engaged. You're locked in. Okay, I'm paying attention. I'm learning how to do this. A lot of us, we give our lives to Christ and we're, we got this 10 and 2. What are we doing, Jesus? But all of a sudden, if you've been driving long enough, I'm sure you've had these days when you drive into your driveway and you're like, I don't know how I got here. Because it's just so common now that you just kind of, I don't even know what happened. How did I, man, I got here somehow. It's that, that's what can happen spiritually. We just, meh. And we miss paying attention to what God actually wants to do in our lives. We've drifted and we're no longer cold. We're no longer hot. We're just tepid. We're not remedial. We're not refreshing. We're now repulsive. Let me be honest with you. And I'm not proud of what I'm going to tell you because I'm, I've been just recently in a meh. I made a meh moment in my life. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we were just grabbing a quick bite to eat and we were in the mall food court and we were enjoying each other's company. It was just the two of us and we're laughing and we're just spending some time together. And I see a young couple walk in with a baby. And if you've ever seen a young couple and you know that's their first kid and they're carrying the thing and they've got that look on their face like, oh my goodness, like I just need something to eat. I'm kind of tired. Okay, and they're walking in and I get a little God nudge. And God's never been like big, loud, speak to me loud, but he's given me little nudges before. Given me little nudges of, hey, I want you to say this to this person. I want you to do this for this person. I want you to give this to this person. Just little God nudges. And I felt a God nudge. 
bless them financially. I was like, okay, I can do that. And I pull out my wallet, and I don't have any cash in there. I've got my cards, but there's no cash in there. And my wife sees what I'm doing, and she's seen me do this before because when I was that age, and there's always weird people out, I have random people just walk up to me and say, man, God wants you to know you're doing the right thing. Here you go. And they just hand me cash. And I'd be like, what in the world? And it happened multiple times. So my wife knows I've tried to turn that favor around. And she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I don't have any cash. And I pointed to the couple. She goes, oh, I got some. And so this couple, they're directly in my line of sight. And they're standing in line to get something to eat. And I notice the the young woman, she's got a purse. And the purse is a brand name purse that I know aren't super cheap. And so immediately, I thought to myself, ah, that wasn't God. That wasn't God. That was just, it's Christmas time. And that's just me. You know, you kind of get in that generous mindset and spirit. That, that's, that's not God. So I told her, it's not a big deal. Go ahead. You can put it away. That, that's... It, that, was just, that was just me in my head. But then as I was writing this message, I was super convinced and convicted and upset and frustrated with myself because I let meh slip into my life. And God let me know when I was writing this, hey, I wasn't necessarily asking you to meet a need. I was asking you to be a blessing and to be obedient. And I was like, oh. He was asking me to be refreshing to somebody. But I looked at the outward and said, they don't need this. And God's like, I wasn't asking you to necessarily meet a need. I was asking you to be obedient. And what happens is, some of us, we've, when we first maybe started following Christ, we got those little God nudges. Hey, open your Bible. Hey, pray. Hey, tell this person something. And, but if you uh, keep turning that nudge down, all of a sudden, you stop hearing God's voice. All of a sudden, you stop feeling that nudge because it's just become something that you've learned to ignore. And before you know it, you're meh. That discernment that you had at one point is now meh. Want to go to church today? You should go to church today. God gives you a little nudge. You guys said, yeah. Some of you online are tuned in, yeah. A lot of people, eh. Want to step out in faith? You want to join together in community and gather in a group with some other people to talk about Jesus? Uh, that's another day, eh. Man, we've got to take those God nudges seriously. Let's no longer be lukewarm people, lukewarm living that God wants to vomit out. Let's be somebody that's refreshing something that's just exciting and engaging. I don't want to just drift. I don't just want to be indifferent anymore. And I'm excited because next week, we're going to really start talking about this a lot. We're going to start a brand new series. And Caleb kind of said, hey, here's a word I'm thinking of. And as a church, it's not just a word. We're going to focus on two words for a while. And it's just fully alive. Fully alive. Because there's one thing that I think can be a remedy if we're in the meh. And it's every week, do something that requires you to step out in faith. 
And if every week you do something that requires you to step out in faith, you're going to start hearing God a little bit more. You're going to start hearing God a little bit more. And you're going to start getting more of those nudges because he's like, ah, they're listening. They're listening. And all of a sudden you start doing those things that have to take a little bit of faith. It may be just forgiving someone. It could be talking to your neighbor that you never talked to. It might be picking up the phone and making a phone call. It, it could be giving generously to your church that you've always been a little hesitant to, especially now because, man, there's some things going on. No, that, those might be God nudges and no more meh. Take a step of faith. Every week, take a step of faith. And next week, we're going to start this new series. And I'm going to do, next week's going to be a little bit different I'm going to do some teaching and some training of what a church should look like and how a church should be and how a church should function. And then we're going to move forward and we're going to do those things. We want to be a place that's refreshing and remedial to people where people can find hope, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. So do one thing this week. Don't wait till next week when we start. Do one thing this week that requires faith. And it could be something small. But in order to do that thing, you need to ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? And you need to be ready to hear the little nudges. Because for most of us, God isn't going to shout in this big voice from the sky. But he will give you a little nudge. Do this. Now, Christmas is over, but our passion for Christ shouldn't be. Don't tuck your faith. Don't tuck your, your love of Christ in the junk drawer with the dead batteries and the bad scissors. That's not where Jesus belongs. Allow the Spirit of God to live inside of you and to lead you and guide you and direct your path. Now, I know this message today has been really a lot more geared towards those of us who already are people of faith, people who are followers of Christ. But if you're new to this whole thing, and maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, this is maybe something that's new to you. Jesus ends this letter saying this. He said, I stand at the door and knock. And he's saying that, I think, to those who have, of us who are followers of Christ, and maybe you today who aren't. He's saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. I stand at the door and knock. And then he says, if anyone, if anyone, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what, what you've been through. As a church, it doesn't matter what we've been through. He said, if anyone would just open the door. Just open the door. Let's open the door to Jesus and allow him to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, to be passionate about what he's passionate about. Some of you guys today is the first day you need to say, it's a brand new year, it's a brand new start for me and my faith. I'm opening the door to Jesus. Some of you guys in a couple weeks, when we do baptisms, you need to say, it's fresh start. I'm fully alive. I'm, getting, I'm doing this outward profession of what God is doing on the inside of me. I'm going to be dunked and raised up. I know for a long time, and I'm not against people who do this. I know you guys have done this here. And we may go back to doing this, but we do a lot of this like hand-raising thing if you've given your life to Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible teaches when you give your life to Christ, the outward sign is actually dunking in water. And so in a few weeks, if you've done this, but you've never done that, let's go. Let's do this. Let's invite people into this place that need to hear about Jesus. I promise you, I've told you this when I first started. Every single week when I get up here, I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. I'm going to explain the love of Christ. 
And I'm going to try to pull you a little bit closer to him. And at the same time, I'm trying to draw closer to him as well.